you guys but when i hear that voice go maybe it was harmony i'm like yes it is that time of week again thank you for tuning back into the share the road podcast i hope you guys have had a great week i hope you guys have been able to get out and get some training before the weather got a little yucky over here in the bluegrass state this week we have got something that's going to bring some sunshine to you because i am sitting down with just Possibly the most intelligent, interesting human being I've ever had a conversation with. No joke. We're going to be getting into how he trains for all this incredible stuff, having a, a family of three, uh, three kids and a wife, and also being a director of engineering, and how he ties in engineering and music as a hobby into his competitions. I mean, and he brings it all together. He makes it all related. So it's so incredibly interesting. Before we do that, I'm not going to waste a lot of time uh, because there is a lot to dive into. I listen to every episode to edit and make sure it flows smoothly. And I just couldn't take a lot out of this one because there was so much good stuff. So just real quick, hey, are you looking for whole food protein? Well, if you are, you need to head over to Redcon1. If you look into the description of this podcast, you can see a code for 20% off your order today. That code is T20CABELL. That code again, T20CABELL. Also, if you're looking for great coffee, make sure you head over to Stave Coffee on Facebook or find them at Instagram at Stave Coffee. Stop having mediocre mornings. You're better than that. You deserve better than that. Make your mornings awesome with Stave Coffee. Without further ado, let's dive right into it. Let's do this. Joining me now, I have Mike Ekbundit. He is a father, a husband. He is the director of engineering at GE and he is an awesome athlete. And he he stated that, you know, even though he's done a lot of running, he is an athlete. And man, just going by some of the things that he's accomplished in life, that is certainly the case. Rock climbing, tennis, basketball, baseball. And he taught himself gymnastics before making the uh, cheerleading team at UofL, which is absolutely incredible. He did his first marathon in 97, First Ironman in 50K the year after, and has just exploded from there. He will be doing the world's toughest mutter again this year after having competed for the last two years. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for the invitation. I'm looking forward to the conversation. You mentioned you consider yourself an athlete as opposed to labeling yourself a runner, and obviously you fit that bill. I mean, you're um, just resume of what you do is awesome and I really liked what you said that you try to uh, stay at a level of fitness that allows you to go on these different adventures and do these different things so has that just kind of been how life has always been for you even as a kid you've always been on the move and doing different things yeah you know it, it, it my mother actually reminded me of a story one of my first athletic endeavors was actually to go on a run when I was about four oh, wow. um, with my dad. And I think we ran to a donut shop that day, but uh, it, it was still a run. Uh, you know, I ran 
and played baseball, um, played rec basketball, whatever, as a kid growing up. Mm-hmm. I don't actually enjoy running very much. Um, really? I, 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 I really dislike running on roads and sidewalks. Yeah. Um, except maybe the social aspect of it. Uh, I pretty much prefer trails, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if they go no someplace I've never been. Um, but I, I more enjoy the different aspects of different sports, right? There's something special about catching that first wave, riding a wave on a board or swimming way out in open water or hanging from the side of a mountain or shooting that last second shot at a basketball game, being part of a team that moves as a unit. That's pretty cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but running is foundational to most of the stuff I like to do. So I do it. And I probably do it a lot, I guess. That's, <laughs> that, that's hilarious. It's just like, eh, it's okay, but it allows me to do all of these other things. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, so you also surf then? Yeah, or- you know, I, 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 took a, I took a class. I was out west. I was in San Diego doing a job mm-hmm. and I had a few hours off. So I took a surfing class and that was, that was, life-changing it's just something about sitting out there waiting for a wave to come in that was really cool um we don't clearly don't have waves uh, here, yeah i did go ahead and buy a paddleboard mm-hmm. so i paddleboard um which is its own kind of exercise and i really i really enjoy that too wow yeah plenty of lakes here so man being a being a kentucky boy i mean since i was born i haven't really left very much i'm in the reserve so pretty much all of my traveling has come from doing that i haven't gotten the chance to really uh get into surfing or anything like that so that just absolutely sounds incredible and foreign to me um now you you taught yourself gymnastics in your yard um, yeah. when, did, when did that start? Like what age were you like, you know what? I'm going to do gymnastics now. <laughs> so that was, that would have been my senior year in high school. I was 15. I think I might've just turned 16. Um, and I was heckling the cheerleaders at our school because several of them had been working on their back handspring for four years in a row. I'm like, come on. this is this is like your thing this is your only thing why has it taken you four years to figure this out right and you know then they gave me lots of grief and dared me to come to one of their practices so i went to one um where the gymnastics coach had joined and so i randomly showed up just dumb as anything to tryouts yeah didn't know the first thing about anything and uh, but i could tumble and I figured out the other stuff and got on the squad. So ended up with the national championship ring a few years later, but it was just funny how it started on a dare. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just to be like, well, let's see you do better. Okay. <laughs> and then to go and figure yeah, it yeah. out. That's yeah. I was too dumb to say no. And you know, at that age, when, when a, when a group of pretty girls dares you to do something, you kind of have to. Oh, no doubt. I w- I was a band geek in uh in high school, so it was a lot. Right. The uh the tuba was my big thing there. <laughs> Super athletic <Nice>. there. <laughs> um, so you're you're doing all these different sports and stuff, and you're you're doing cheerleading now. A lot of times with cheerleading at least the male male cheerleaders that i knew and was friends with i mean they they really liked on mass and just muscle and weight lift a lot was that something that you had to do during your time at uofl it was actually um we we practiced 
five days a week. And my freshman and sophomore year, I packed on about 35 pounds um, <laughs> because it was mandatory. Besides, besides going to practice, you had to do mandatory weightlifting and mandatory cardio and then do some other stuff afterwards. But uh, yeah, at UofL, it's a job. It's a real job. So um, yes. Well, and that's certainly, that's certainly the case with uh, college athletics too. I mean, I think um, it's coming to light a little bit more these days uh, with some of the NCAA stuff and the regulations on uh, different things that athletes can get. But I certainly think that uh, collegiate athletes, no matter what sport it is, deserve um, a little bit more of, you know, their meal plans and things like that than people give them because they, they can't get a job like a lot of other college students can because it is like 40 plus hours a week of work it, it was a lot i didn't i was not on scholarship i declined it because i was already on full scholarship um oh, okay but it was it was a conflict for going to engineering school and, and working and being a cheerleader but it worked out yeah, and I yeah, I I've, I've had friends that have gone to speed school and I mean it is, that's pretty intense too. So good on you for uh doing both and doing obviously doing them both well. Um and so you go through all of that and what leads you to cuz I assume you graduated from college around when you were 24, right? Was that or 22? Yeah. I picked up my bachelor's degree um, when I was 24. I, I hung out for a little while extra. I wasn't mature enough. I got to L and I had just turned, um, actually I was 16 when I picked up my ID and I just turned 17. Wow. So I was not ready for the world and I took a lower class load for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But all through the, all through that time, all through high school and whatnot, um, I would still, you know, I was still playing sports, got into college and uh, would randomly, um, what I thought was run far, right? A couple miles here and there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the transition to endurance sports actually started somewhere in there where uh, the very last, my last year of school, it was called mini marathon training. So you, it was a PE class and you trained to run the Derby Festival mini marathon and the race was your, what an awesome class. (laughs) That's what I said. So, um, so I ran the race and um, graduated soon thereafter and I moved to Huntsville and that's okay. when marathon that's when the marathon got on my bucket list. And that that's such a huge running community down there in Huntsville. It really is. It really is. That's the same year I met my coach mm-hmm. um, who lives in South Carolina. Um, and he introduced me to heart rate training and all kinds of other stuff that I'd never heard of before. And in December of ninety seven I ran the Rocket City Marathon for my for my first marathon. And I hear that one's tough. But, <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty hilly, right? Um, it's not supposed to be. Um, it, <laughs> it doesn't. The course map doesn't look like it, but there's a couple spots where there's there's a little incline. You can run it fast if you want to. Yeah. Um, if you know what's coming. But um, yeah, it seemed far at the time, right? That the mini marathon seemed far at the time, and then I ran the marathon, and that seemed far at the time. It's just funny. Endurance. Your definition of endurance event changes as you tag tag on distance. Man, that's so true. I, I remember when my first was Indy and um, my my buddy Jordan Laux was like, hey, man, you know what? You should do uh, you should do Mountain Mist. I was like, dude, I just ran this marathon. He's like, run Mountain Mist. I was like, OK, I mean, right, why not five more miles? Five miles? But right, oh, my gosh, go there's wrong. there's so much more. 
I just was not like I knew that the elevation and water line and all that stuff was coming. And still, I just was not fully prepared for 31 miles of mountain mist. (laughs) Yeah. But you're you're absolutely right. Our our endurance, uh, what what we think of as endurance changes. Like um, we were looking at different races, and I I signed up for this fifty miler. Just like yeah, let's thing right. Like that, you know, let's just keep going. Uh, was that so? That was kind of the same thing for you. The year after that, you did your first full man. Yeah, you know, um, yes. So I, I did did a half iron. But this seems yeah. like a good idea. Why what? what? How much worse can it be? Because yeah. the Huntsville community was, was also a big triathlon community. Okay. Um, and so, like, yeah, why don't you do that? Okay, let's try to do one of them. Um, I've just gotten married. I didn't have kids yet. have a lot of responsibility of any kind. And so, just trained all the time. Right. And, uh, and it, was, it was, it was, you know, your first of any event is... Sure. I have fond memories of that first. I have a lot of good memories of Mountain Mist because I've run it so many times. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Favorite uh, mountain mist memory. Um, I believe it was 2000 uh-huh. when um, I was the my car was the last car allowed up the mountain because the ice was so bad. The state police closed the road and they were the car behind me. They they set up the barricade right <laughs> behind me as I was going up. So a bunch of the any of the volunteers didn't make it to the race site because the road was closed, but the race was going to go on no matter what. Sure. So my family ended up working the 25 mile aid station. Mm. Whoa. Right, right <laughs> get into McKay's hollow and I was running and covered in ice and had icicles hanging off my hat. And, Oh um, my god, that was just, it was treacherous. You couldn't control your speed downhill because everything was covered in ice. So you ended up either walking or just sliding. Oh and, my uh, word. If you, if you remember the waterfall on waterline. Yeah. That was a giant slick spot. So I went way up. And you had to climb the, climb the cliff too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then it's just like, what seems to be like a 16% incline up from there. Yeah. And it was all solid ice. It was was such a great memory. And it, and how crazy we must sound to people who don't do trail races where it's like, yeah, that ice was awesome. <laughs> right. I, and I'd never heard of such a thing going into it, honestly. Right. So these are just experiences that you just embrace for what they are. You yeah. Either, you either panic and quit or you embrace them for what they are and make modifications to stay safe. I think one of my big, um, like, uh, Oh, what's up? motivators during hard times and races and, or when something comes up that's like crazy and should mentally kind of break you. I'm like, man, this is going to be a great story. So I have to finish it so I can tell the story with a happy ending. <laughs> right. It's kind of one of, one right. of those situations. Um, and it's wild how different mountain mist ch- obviously changes year to year. It seems like it's a different race every year just from the stories I've heard. Yeah, out of the 14 times I've done it, I've started. Three of those ended up in injuries. Um, 11 of them turned into finishes. And of those 11, only three of them that I recall were like sunny, dry, yeah. 50 degrees. Right? They were either, there was something. Yeah, I mean, Whatever. I think ours was sunny and it was really, really nice weather, uh, but it had 
poured rain the three days before that. So the whole thing was just a swamp. (laughs) So like there was no momentum moving forward. It just sucked your feet in. Yep. and me sucking at nutrition, like my my muscles were shot by fifteen. But I was like, man, I just gotta keep going. I was cramping and <laughs> everything along yep. the way. So uh, with yep. with doing going back to that, um, so you you're not huge on running. You do it so you can do cycling. Do you enjoy cycling? more? I actually do mainly because on a bicycle, I see a lot more of the, and so I enjoy that part of it. Um, mm-hmm. I weigh 200 pounds, so running on pavement is not my friend most days. Sure. Um, you know, and I don't mind it, especially if I'm in the woods, but um, but cycling, I get to see a lot more of the world around me, and I feel a little bit, I don't know, it just feels different, right, when you're on a bicycle gliding through the air. It definitely the, has a more freeing kind of like, I guess, flying sensation for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a little bit different. I actually prefer Really? That's what I was going to get to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, so bad at it. So it, it. turns out, um, while I was living in Huntsville, the swim coach there um, actually learned from Terry McLaughlin, whose technique. Okay. And that's actually the technique he taught, and he introduced me to it um, while I was swimming there in Huntsville pre- prepping for my Ironmans. Right. And um, the, the gist of it is not to fight the water, to learn how to recognize your body position. And don't spend, you basically don't spend any energy swimming. So as long as I'm not swimming fast, which I don't do at an Ironman, sure. um, I'm not using, I'm not using much energy at all. I'm just wow. floating through the water. And it becomes nice then, right? Because once you learn how to do that, um, it doesn't matter if you're swimming in a river, in a pool, in an ocean, you have good control over your body and you can just enjoy it for what it is. So once I made that, that leap, swimming became enjoyable. We're going to have to get together because I get through about um, like an 800 meter and I am like, this is ridiculous. I can run 30 miles and feel fine, but I run, I swim half a mile and I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> so It's likely a technique problem. Oh, I, right? without a doubt, <laughs> without a and doubt. It takes a little practice. It takes yeah. a little practice like everything else, but you can do it. Sure. I figured it out. Good grief. Yeah. You can well, figure it out. Well, I'll have to get with somebody then to kind of work work on that a little more because I even went to um, some classes over at the health park and I certainly got better. I mean, when I first started, uh, I couldn't even, you know, do 400, you know, let alone, (laughs) let alone 800. And so the fact that I was able to get to that point and I think I could suffer through uh, longer than that but man just to, to hear you say that there there's a way to uh, get that technique down to where you're just going and you're not really using a lot of energy I, I gotta I well, gotta figure out somebody to work with me on that well, that was my experience with it too because you know that was my experience but um, I started in a similar place to you because when I first got in the pool I'd go maybe 800 meters and I was completely dizzy and unable to walk in a straight line when I get out of the pool. Yeah. And I was winded and just felt like junk. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is 800 meters. There's got to be another way because I can't find my way to the locker room without taking a sit down break. Right. Um, Because I'm disoriented and it it came around. It didn't take long. It didn't take long. It was worth the time. Yeah, for sure. it's it's, It's like one of those things that turns into a life skill that you can use later. Definitely. And, and obviously you certainly did. Where all did you do, uh, Ironman's at? Um, 
I did a couple in Florida, um, North Carolina, and I did Louisville several times. Ah, uh, the but, what um, they call the algae man now. <laughs> well, you know, back this back back when I was doing it, it was still in the in August, so it was miserably hot. Nothing was growing in in the river. Sure. Um, and the run temperature on average was. 90 oh, not to mention that kentucky humidity too so just yeah thick. <laughs> yeah and i wish i'd known then what i know now about nutrition and prepping for that kind of thing for sure but, well and that's certainly know, such a trial and error yeah exactly such like oh well that didn't work <laughs> i guess i'll get it right maybe next time <laughs> And it, yeah. it always seems like with nutrition that there's always something more to learn about it. Well, there is. And your body changes as you age. So your needs will change. Even after you get it dialed in for right now, it might be different in a couple of years. For sure. And have you noticed like any key of those changes for you here recently? Um, you know, I'm, I'm 47. I'll be 48 this year. Mm-hmm. And my stomach ability to digest certain kinds of carbohydrate is not very good now. Um, particularly if I'm running at any kind of intensity. Okay. Uh, so I have to be careful about that. Um, how far before a major event I have to dial in my nutrition is, has changed. Um, when I was younger, right. Stomach of iron, I could eat a box of white castles and go race. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have, but could have. Sure. And, and now, you know, three days out, I'm locked, I'm locked down and I'm not taking any chances and I have to eat a different distribution of carbs and better quality of carbs and protein and fat. I'm, I'm a lot more careful and I probably should have been back then too, but I got away with it or I felt like I did. And now I just don't, it's not worth it to me. I spend too much time and effort and resource to get to these events and it's just not, it's not worth blowing up over for sure. What's your, what's your favorite, uh, go-to? So say Saturday race, what are you anchoring down on? Mm, depends on, depends on, um, I, um, white rice, um, chicken breast, salmon, some basic vegetables, not just nothing crazy. Something, I, I don't, I, something clean and easy at your body's like, Hey, I know what that is. <laughs> easily, di- easily digestible. Like I don't, I don't, pound, I don't eat pasta cause I don't handle gluten at this point in my life. Okay. Very well. So I, you know, pasta, that carb loading, pasta loading, I don't do any of that. My, my nutrition's pretty well on point all the time. So I don't have to do that. Nice. Um, but you know, I don't eat pizza the night before or two days before I don't eat hamburgers couple of days out i don't eat hot dogs i don't just easily digestible high quality stuff has got a lot put in but as long as i have that's and what i am traveling oh yeah so because i mean you travel for work a lot it sounds like i do um and so where i can control it i take what i can with me um if i'm racing domestically in the u.s um and i'm driving there i'll pack coolers of food even though it's easier to go out to eat i'll pack it so i can control it and i know what's in it and there's Mm -hmm. no risk of you know in the prep cycle or anything else i've had too many experiences over the 30 years or whatever it is that i've been running and doing stuff um where things went wrong because i was too lazy to be in control of it i let Mm. i let 
chance happen. Yeah. So at this, at this point, right. If I travel to a big event that I've trained all year for and I blow up because I ate a hot dog the night before, that's just bad. Yeah, no doubt. Not to mention the, the money that you pay to do the race. Exactly. So what about, what about day after or a meal after you celebrating a little bit, cutting loose a little bit or. Nope. Nope. Uh, Actually immediately after, um, I really want to put in good quality food as much as I can because that's yeah. what my body's putting, you know, my body's rebuilding good quality stuff to rebuild with. I might, I might let up, um, two or three days later a yeah. little bit and, you know, or small splurges don't matter too for much sure. right afterwards. But, um, but for the most part, I'm, I'm trying to make sure my body's fueled properly to rebuild because I also, you know, as you get older, recovery takes way longer. So you do whatever you can to shorten the cycle back up. Right, man. I, I really, uh, haven't, thought about how much your body needs good stuff immediately after I've always just kind of felt like, Oh yes, I can do this now. <laughs> right. So, and I was the same way. I was the same way when I was in my twenties Yeah. and now, and now I just, you know, I put in good stuff first, make sure I make sure I take the edge off and get my body back to equilibrium. And then, then we'll see. And I can slowly put it back in. So, I mean, all of these things, the training, the nutrition, all this different stuff, plus you work a full-time job, plus you have a wife, plus you have three kids who are how old? Um, currently, they are 12, 13 and a half, and 17. So a lot going on with the kids, too, because that's that age where all the extracurriculars and things start as well. How, I mean... Obviously, it has to be a highly structured day, like certainly routine plays a role into it. But can you give us a peek into how you manage to stay on top of all that? And does the fact that uh, your family is also very athletic help you get away with some of those things as well? Um, So, yes, it does help training life. I don't treat those. I treat them all as I try to find ways to make them all the same. So, um, you know, I, I don't go to work and have this, and then when I come home, I have this window of training period and then have family time. Okay. I don't, I don't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, um, while I'm at work, um, you know, certainly work is work, but during lunch, if the weather is available, um, and, and I can make the time, then I'll squeeze in one of the workouts for the, you know, for the day into that time slot, as long as I can get there. Sure. Um, the kids all participate in sports. So, um, I try to get to their practices and never miss a game, but while they're practicing, I might practice or run or train or do something while they're there since I already have to go pick them up anyway. Yeah. Um, and you know, when we're, when we're at home, we try, I guess the fundamental is we try, I try to figure out a way, um, in order to capitalize on the time management piece, I try to find ways that things that are win-win scenarios for the whole family. So waking up early and doing things before everybody's awake, that's one. That's easy one. Mm-hmm. Working out during lunch is an easy one. I'm running during practices. But since they're all athletes, right, we can run together. Like right. maybe the youngest one will scooter while I'm running, and he might not want to go five, six, ten, whatever miles. He might want us to go 20 minutes. So we'll just loop back by the house. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And um, then he's got some stuff in too. Right. Right. And then we get to talk. And we capitalize on being able to have some together time. And it doesn't matter if I'm running fast or slow. Um, I, I adapt, right? Because the family is certainly more important than my perceived running speed. 
for most sure. of the time. Um, we cross train together, right? Um, if you, two of my kids play soccer, that's great running and great cross training. Man, um, works a lot of different muscles. Soccer's intense. <laughs> um, and my daughter started running track, so that's track work. We go to the track together. She does her own thing, but we're there together and we talk about it. Um, we cook together. All this extra fitness also means that we can also randomly and arbitrarily go on adventures together. We can go do things that maybe other families can't go do because, well, they can't. Um, but we are always available. And play. Play is such a big deal. Um, and as your kids, you know, as my 17-year-old doesn't play so much anymore. But if we go shoot basketball together or we hit the playground or whatever, the, inevitably a playground is a, or a play space is a great way to cross train. You can make it whatever you want. Um, as long as you're allowing for it and you know, it's coming, um, for long workouts, those are the worst ones, right? The, the, the 45 minute blocks you can usually find, um, the six hour, eight hour blocks are harder to get. Yeah. Um, so, you know, on Saturday mornings, if I really need to, I'll get up at three, be out the door at five, um, which is not my favorite. No, but it's, but it's doable, right? <laughs> yeah. Or I'll sure. run, so I'll, I'll run a little bit, run in loops, come back. Um, since the kids all are able to run, if they want to, I'll run whatever distance it and then run back and take up another. Um, it's a beach body coach. So we, we can cross train together. We can, we have, we can talk cross training and, and strength training and muscle development and nutrition together. There's a million ways. Just, yeah. you know, every family's different. Everybody's got their own thing. You just got to figure out what what's the, what's the win-win scenario that lets lets you participate and have time with those with those folks. What what what's meaningful to them, and how how do you both get something out of it that isn't forced? That's such a unique approach because so often you hear people who are like, "Well, yeah, I just wake up at you know." 4 a.m. every single day and I get all my workouts in and um, then I'm then I'm at work at eight and I work until this time and then it's family time in the afternoon you know so it's really it seems just interwoven everything is and that has to make life fluid has that always been your approach to it um I've tried to make it that way it took a little while to figure out how to do it and it's little stuff like you know the soccer field that the kids play on is three miles from the house mm-hmm. and it takes, you know, with the city, it takes 15 minutes to get there. I can run there in 24. So if they give me a 10 or 15 minute head start, I can just run to the game. Oh yeah. Right. And then I get there at the same time as them. They pick, they put clean clothes in the car for me. If I need it, I can change when I get there. It's just little things where, then net net right there and they're only without me for 10 minutes and i'm at the game on time right i only lost 10 minutes instead of whatever so you know every family is going to have their own things but um trying to figure out where where those little things are and then make them work into your training plan man that is invaluable uh, information i mean uh, i i've never heard of an approach like that honestly um and probably just because I, I don't have a family myself yet, but man, that is something I'm putting in the back pocket because there's certainly been times where people have had to wait on me or that I missed out on something. Cause I'm like, Oh no, I got to train. So <laughs> yeah. And you know, you, there's going to be some of that, you, but you're just trying to minimize it by helping, helping make it all possible. And it does mean that you have to be really good at managing your calendar. 
yeah. and have some discipline. You know, maybe that means you watch less TV. For sure. Maybe that means you give up one thing for something else, whatever. Um, but you'll you'll be surprised when you start looking at it that way, how much time you actually have and how much time you can get double duty out of. I think I think I've heard uh, John Kelly talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, I'm talking about. Uh, he did uh, uh, Barkley a few times, and he lives in. He's actually an yeah. uh, uh, engineer too. Um, over yes. and uh, he talks about how, yeah, man, I just don't, I don't do TV and all that stuff. I have family and I have training, and and it just, uh, I I make time for all of it. And but that means that TV and stuff like that, it it doesn't happen. And you know, and that's not really that big of a sacrifice if you're truly enjoying what you're doing. Um, TV is so yes. much of just a mindless time filler. <laughs> well, if you look at your life as a giant outlook calendar mm-hmm. and you fill it in with the stuff that you care about first and then fill in with the rest of it, then you figure it out. It just yeah. takes a little practice and it does take a little discipline and self-denial. For sure. So, But it's worth it. Oh, I mean, no doubt. I mean, look look at all the stuff that we're able to do and the places we're able to go. And so and that kind of what of all these races you've done in all these places, uh, do you have like that was the coolest place I've ever gone doing this race? Is there one of those for mm. you? From a destination standpoint? Um, we can start there, yeah, because it sounds like there's a more, there's a different route we could have taken, and I want to go there too. So let's start well, destination. Um, from a purely destination standpoint, my I ran, I've only run Boston Marathon once, and that was last year. Or mm-hmm. I'm sorry, 2019. So I guess that was last year. Um, time time is a flat run. circle right now, man. It is. <laughs> yeah, I, the year it rained and did all the crazy things, but that was my mm-hmm. first time. I didn't really appreciate. It. I, I knew that Boston. Boston Marathon was famous and blah, blah, blah. You had to qualify to get there. Sure. But I didn't realize until I arrived in Boston what the spectacle of event that thing is. Really? That, my mind was completely changed on what I thought the Boston Marathon was when I showed up, starting with when I got off the plane and going and checking in um, at the race expo and all the stuff. There's just it's a thing all its own. It's a life all of its own. The people, the course, the volunteers, just the whole experience of it. Um, I don't know that I've ever been to anything that was quite that kind of a production with that much richness and history. Um, it was really something. And everyone's just really all in on it. huh? You know? Um, yeah. I mean, there were a bunch of people there like me who were first timers who had just qualified and were happy to be there. Um, And then there were those that had been there, you know, since the first one or whatever, they'd been running forever and ever. And they were very proud of this being their whatever number marathon it was. And it it was a little bit of everything. So it added a little texture, um, added a lot of, a lot of history, a lot of uh, emotion that I didn't expect to feel while walking around and just kind of experiencing downtown Boston and, the race itself, everything about it, just riding the bus. Was that was your first really, time in Boston too? Um, no, I'd been there for work, okay. um, but I, I didn't get to experience the city like I did yeah. when I was there for the marathon. So as a destination, I, you know, I was probably mixed with all the hype 
that was that's real around the Boston Marathon. Um, I suspect if I ever get to go to Kona for the Ironman World oh, Championships, man. I'll feel that way about that too. Yeah, um, I took a I've taken a hiatus from triathlon for a little bit. Um, and I'm doing some other stuff, but uh, I'll probably come out of retirement uh, later this year for triathlon. Uh oh, big announcement. So, <laughs> well, um, I've got a goal. I've got a goal for next year, so we've got to start. I got to start this year. Um, becoming ultra or something. There's a body who had gotten to Ultraman, um, wrote about his experiences. Um, that would that what it what it, what do you have to do in order to make Ultraman? Um, I think you have to have enough pedigree to okay. show that you're not going to die. Oh, I see. So I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll have to put an Ironman back on the race calendar for next year somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, just got to do the things. My, my coach has had the world record there for a while. Um, he still has the run course record. Wow. Um, and so he, he still races there. Um, and he's my age. So I'd like to do it once as a, as a bucket list item before I get too old to, to do it. No doubt. I mean, once you do that, you can, you can pretty much, I mean, I know you brought, you obviously won't, but you can pretty much just stop doing the races. Once you do an Ultraman, you've, you've, uh, you've checked the boxes. <laughs> there's different stuff. Like I'm looking at, um, a couple of, uh, swim runs. Yeah. Are, I've seen those popping up. Yeah. I've never heard of those. Is that kind of a newer thing or. No, it's, well, it's, it's just not very been, not been very popular. Yeah. You know, at least in the world that I live in, but it's been pretty popular in Scandinavia for a long time. Hmm. There's always another thing, right? I, yeah. I started looking up stuff and it was like, wow, there's so many things I would like to do. No you doubt. Because you can't do them all. Yeah. And that, that's kind of what is in this past year, especially after mountain mess, I started really looking at different trail races. Cause after your first trail race, you're, you're pretty hooked, you know? And it's, yeah. I, I just started looking at all that. And I was like, Oh, I want to do that. And I want to do that and that, but I can't do it all <laughs> right now. I have to like plan Absolutely. it out. And, um, so yeah, for sure. But Right now, you're working on these World's Toughest Mudder, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is like a 24-hour endurance race, which for those listeners who don't know what that means, it means you run as many loops as you can over a 24-hour period. And whoever has the most distance accomplished at the end, uh, that's how the uh, rankings are set up at the conclusion of the race. Except this 24-hour endurance race, comes with some killer obstacles did i explain that correctly yeah yeah the yeah the world's toughest mudder is the tough mudder branded yeah um it's a it's a tough mudder branded event mm -hmm. um it's five mile loops each five mile loop has about 20 obstacles on it of various difficulties sure um and some of them are big and scary and difficult i think you know if you think uh American Ninja Warrior, mm -hmm. um, and you take you know those are all big signature obstacles. So you mm -hmm. take those obstacles on a Ninja Warrior course and spread them out over five miles, and then drop another fifteen obstacles in there in between them that are a little less complicated. Sure, and it's kind of like that. Oh um, my word! So it's a little less hand intensive. We don't have any of the things where you're just hanging on your fingers for that long. Okay, um, but there are a couple of places, and. You know, it's it. I, I underestimated how difficult 
that was going to be coming from ultra running right i knew i could run 100 miles in 24 hours um and so i greatly underestimated and did not research enough going into my first one in 2018 and uh, that year the temperature dropped to 29 and we were constantly wet because we're if you fall off an obstacle you're falling into water most likely yeah and i ended up um i ended up with hypothermia and was unsafe to con- un- unsafe to continue at 35 miles or 40 miles and uh i was just devastated just so disappointed there were so many things i did not know um that i was not prepared for that i had not trained for did you realize um, that pretty early and then, in and well it, I, it was okay until it got cold and then yeah. when it got cold um i had every garment that i had brought with me to the race i had it on and i had started borrowing trash bags and turning them into shirts just to have another layer on top of everything and i still still ended up with hypothermia was that in dallas so, that year too i know it's in dallas this year it's in Dallas this year. It was a, um, but it was in Atlanta. It was in Atlanta for 2018 and 2019. Man, 29 so, in Atlanta too. Like, <laughs> yeah, never happens. No, it just happened to be. Hey, it just it was just for you, man. <laughs> and that was that was just absolutely miserable. So I trained completely differently going into 2019, um, and uh, took used. Uh, those events as fundraisers to raise money for juvenile diabetes research foundation in support of my oldest son who was diagnosed in 2016. Um, and actually took him with me. We were, he was on a team with a bunch of, uh, type one diabetics last year at 20 for the 2019 world's toughest mother. So, um, took him, we, we were able to have that experience together for a little bit. So he raced a couple of laps and then he turned into crew. My wife is, my wife is my crew chief. She's been my crew chief since 98, my first Ironman. Oh and, man, I uh, bet that's a well-oiled machine at this point. It, it, it actually is. Yeah. And it's a huge bonus. It's a huge, it's a huge advantage. Don't, if you can manage to get a good crew, that is a, an enormous advantage. But, uh, went back to world's toughest mother last year and, uh, ended up with 65 miles. Um, happy enough with, you know, there's a, I'll, I won't spare you the story of last year's race, um, but it was, there was a lot of beautiful, beautiful moments um, yeah. for what it was. But after last year, finishing strong at 65 and still having plenty of gas in the tank, um, setting the bar a little higher this year, going into Dallas. So what, planning to go a lot farther. Do you have a specific goal in mind? 80. 80. Man. I'd like to and get 80 the- miles this year. Man, that's impressive for somebody doing a 24-hour endurance race to run 80 miles without the obstacles. So I have no doubt that you'll be able to get it done. Um, with that, we're coming up on here in the podcast. I'm going to be starting a mini series on uh, DNFs or not meeting your expectation for a race. Going back to that first toughest mutter, um, did that? Kind of, you you mentioned the disappointment with how it turned out. Did that linger at all after the race? It did. It did. Um, that was a tough one. I mean, I've I've suffered my fair share of disappointments for a lot of different reasons. Most of them around nutrition earlier in my career, but um, that particular one, toughest world's toughest mutter in 2018. That particular one really hit me because um, it was a matter of pride. 
yeah and the lack of lack of preparation that led to most of the failure and those were both well under my control had nothing to do with food didn't even have anything to do with weather right the weather last year was only like five degrees warmer Mm -hmm. and i had no troubles at all ran straight through and um it was just that was i guess the part of it because it was a personal failure i can i counted it as a personal failure it wasn't something out of my control right it it wasn't life happening and you didn't have anything to do with it so that one stuck that stung for a while and it drove me to train a lot harder for a whole year so do you think it had a uh positive impact on your training it did um days you know everybody eventually has training days where they don't feel like going out yeah or it's too cold or too rainy or too dark or too whatever your fingernail hurts <laughs> um you know everybody comes up to one of those days and yeah. i had a lot fewer of those because i knew, too, I knew what was coming i knew what the course was going to be and i knew not to take it for granted it didn't matter that i could run 100 there were too many other things that i could have prepared for that were yeah. knowable and trainable so um i had a very um regimented plan and stuck to it and it turned out fine after that so i'm doing the same thing except harder that's awesome i mean when when you have kind of tripping moments like that you know you can either use it to propel you even farther or uh, let it bring you down so good to good to hear that you know uh, you're able to use that to your advantage uh did you have like a down moment at all before you're kind of like no you know what i'm gonna you know use this or was it pretty much right away like okay we're we're gonna fix this well um I allowed myself two weeks after yeah. the race to waller around and pity, yeah, um, and be and be mad, and then um, sucked it up, talked to my coach, and set up a, a whole year of goals and training, and went after it. So, how much different does training for this look than training for an Ironman or training for, or actually, it's probably quite similar training for an Ironman, right? With all the different things that yep. you have to do. Time-wise, time-wise, it's very similar to Ironman training. Um, you just spend your time differently. Yeah. Um, because you're heavily running biased. Mm-hmm. If you're setting goals with the distances that I have, um, and that a lot of other people have, um, you spend a lot more time on your feet than you do on, in Ironman training, you spend a lot more time on the bike because it just takes longer. And so where Ironman's kind of split up pretty even, you know, big chunk on bike, next big chunk on running and a few hours of swimming a week. Um, For obstacle course training, um, I run like I'm training for a hundred miler. And then I add five or six strength workouts a week on top of that. Okay. Gotcha. That are full body. Do any of those come like, do so do you, would you do like a, full body strength workout like before a run or are you doing those after a run and then running more or how do you kind of uh, prepare yourself for the muscle fatigue or is it just kind of this you'll run and then go work out and then that's that's it no um my strength workouts are enough that i couldn't (laughs) i'm 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 usually face down on the on 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 the floor wow um so i try to put distances between um, which run and I try to separate mm-hmm. them by at least five hours. Um, 
So either first thing in the morning, lunch, or right after work. Um, and then my running, my two, it's Tuesday's track day, Thursday's um, tempo or hill day, mm-hmm. Saturday's long day, days mixed in between there. Sure. Um, and so knowing that, then I make sure that my strength routines, you know, I'm not big work on track day. Right. Because that doesn't work at all. Right. You don't want to hurt yourself. Right. And I'm not doing, I'm not doing plyo day on hill day. Right. Yeah. So you kind of, you kind of mix it up, mix it around to where various body parts get rest so that you're not just killing it all the time. And then about every four to six weeks, I take a down week. And in between strength cycles, which last about six weeks, six to eight weeks between strength cycles, I take a whole week off of completely off of strength training and switch to yoga. Um, really about a week. Yep. And then go back to strength training, give my body a complete rest and just, and then also schedule that as a, an extra low run week. So I can have a full rest window, like I'm tapering for a race and then get back into it. Gotcha. And so how, how long is your training already in your training for that? Is that a whole like kind of, for me, it takes me a whole year because I also like, once you guys know me, you'll, you'll, I think you, you'll realize I'm a, I'm a meticulous planner. Sure. Um, and so, you know, when I look at the calendar, I look at my races November. Therefore, I need to have this race so many months out as a benchmark and then blah, 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 back it up and then fill in with the training schedule, making sure I have taper windows in the right spots, yeah, et cetera. So, like, one of my races got canceled. So, um, and last Saturday, there was an, a virtual a virtual ton. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I did that last Saturday. I ran 61 miles. Whoa. Um, <laughs> on like, like around a yard or on a treadmill? No, actually, um, this one, um, you could, you could do any five mile outdoor. It was outdoor only. Okay. Um, you could do any five mile loop that you wanted to, but you had to take a picture of your Garmin and send it to, wow. um, and it had to, and you couldn't run picture and send it for four laps. It was miles and, and a run split every lap. So, um, did that use my garage as my aids just had to get a feel for where my fitness was right now and what I need to work on. And so now I know perfect race that it was five hour laps too. Yeah, it, it really was. It was designed that way. The, the race director is, a, is an obstacle course race guy. Oh, okay. Um, so, but it was interesting. That's the first time I've ever raced with, um, Mike Wardian. Um, and yeah, Atkins, Ryan Atkins, right. So they, these are, and there were some super fast guys on there. And it was really cool to watch them putting up sub seven minute miles for 12 hours, man. I mean, some of these guys are just freaks and didn't he just do another backyard ultra he also? He, he did. He ran 264 miles yeah. long ago. And he decided to show up for this one. He goes, oh, I don't know how far I'm going to go. He got 85 miles in 12 hours. Jeez. I mean, just some people are just born to be moving their legs all the time. Man. You know, it, yes. he's. I'm glad to see and watch gifted people do their thing. I don't no have doubt. any particular special gifts. I, I just oh. enjoy being out. I, I certainly so. think that you're obviously quite accomplished and quite disciplined. And I think that discipline is certainly a gift. Uh, I'm really actually quite interested because you mentioned music in the uh, guest form. What do you, what do you do musically? Well, um, 
I, I play a little bit acoustic guitar. Yeah. Um, I can play drums. Um, I'm miserably awful on a bass guitar. Yeah. Taught myself how to play ukulele a little bit. Um, I'm just, you know, just like I am with sports, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And uh, I, I, I enjoy so many different aspects of the music. I, I enjoy the theory behind it, how, mm-hmm. how the math works out and making chords and how things go together to make you feel certain ways. Um, I also enjoy singing. I'm terrible at that too, but I enjoy doing it. Me too. Um, <laughs> so, so I don't mind. And as I've gotten older, I've started to care less about what anybody else thought about it. And yeah. I just do it. And recently I've just rekindled my love with my acoustic guitar again and awesome. decided to build a song list of my own and uh, pretend like I was going to go gigging. So I needed to have 40 songs on the list so I could sing for two hours in a row and, just an arbitrary goal. So yeah. now I get to go investigate songs and things that I'm interested in and le- learn the music and learn to play it and move on. That's awesome. Gotta do something with all that free time. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, studied classical guitar in college and, uh, got my music education oh, yeah. degree and, after doing music so intensely for so long and I was in a band and stuff, um, also playing in bars and stuff on the side and man, once I got my music teaching job, I think I turned my obsession a little bit more towards my running and stuff. Cause in college I'd practice five, six hours a day cause that's what oh I had my. to do, you know? And, um, but it's very similar. I talked about this on a podcast a couple weeks ago, how similar being a mute, like a musician, like a really disciplined, dedicated performing musician is to endurance sports and how much planning and things that you have to put into it and practicing different techniques is like practicing hill work or sprints or track and all this different stuff and uh but with with um you know now that i'm not in the classroom right now more and it's bringing me so much joy so i totally understand rekindling that What what an advantage and a blessing to have actual training yes absolutely um it it was a interesting road getting there. I actually started off as a pre-med major, um, thinking that's what I wanted to do, but, uh, it it became very apparent to me very quickly that music was the only thing that I wanted to do for my life. And, uh, teaching, teaching music kind of saved me in grade school. Uh, it was something that actually got me to do my work because if I didn't do my work, I couldn't, be in band <laughs> so right. um and my my band directors always stuck their neck out for me when i was acting like a jerk um and kept me from getting booted or anything like that so uh i wanted to be able to do that for kids and so um wow. so that's music for me but i totally agree that the theory is so interesting and um man if if you're into theory you definitely need to pick up like a, a nylon string guitar sometime and uh get into some like Bach oh yeah it's you know, a- it, it, I, I I wish I had some of the formal training um so I think it would make it more enjoyable like you know you you know things when you are smoothly yeah. and for, for me music is is much more um emotional mm-hmm. um and expressive um and that's prop and in this um, memories 
and emotions and letting emotions out that, that I connect with music and what I choose to sing and play. And, uh, it actually connects directly into how I race ultras. Yeah. So, so yeah. Just um, like it's, a, it's, the, the enjoyment of it. Well, um, there's a place where you get to, I, as a musician, you probably have a much better understanding and you can probably explain it better than I do. Um, there's a place where you can get to, where you get in that groove when you're playing and you're just in the flow Yeah. and you're, and what you're playing is just coming out exactly the way you're feeling it and the mm -hmm. way it's written. And you're just and that, that place mentally that you get to, um, mm -hmm. is a place I try to find while I'm running, especially if I know I'm going to get into a dark spot. You know, at those that three o'clock in the morning window hour race, and you just go, yeah, I'm starting to not want to be here. And a lot of times, that happy place for me is to um, drop into um, a set of music that I have memorized. Yeah, man, that is really cool. I've I've never thought about that connection, but certainly, you know, once I really learned a piece and knew it inside and out, and there have been times I was performing that all of a sudden the song is over and I go back and I watch, you know, if somebody took a video and I'm like, wow, that's the best I've ever played that. And I don't even remember doing it. <laughs> like right. it was so emotionally right. moving. And in that time you feel emotional with it too. Um, right. I'll certainly, I'll certainly put that in the back pocket moving it forward with uh, ultra running is to be able to make that connection. And I, you know, it's funny that you say that um, train, being uh, more trained musically, you think you might be able to have a little bit more enjoyment of that, but you'd be surprised how many highly trained musicians totally forget about that. Like, honestly, it, because it becomes wow. so much more of um, a job, you know, like once you put so much time and study and everything depends, your livelihood depends on it, um, it kind of, it kind of destroys some of that for you. I think it's kind of the same way that some people, uh, when they're training for a race might totally forget why they started running or riding or swimming yep. in the first place. You know, they become yep. so obsessed with the training and the race day results. It'll drive them absolutely mad. And it's same thing with music. I think you see a lot of athletes and you see a lot of musicians burn out in that way. Well, it's easy to hold on to that and focus there, especially in your younger years where you're still getting faster and developing your talent. Mm -hmm. And at some point you're not going to get faster. Yeah. At some point, at some point, if nothing else, father time catches up and you are not going to get faster. And you just have to embrace the fact that you're, 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 you're you are who you are and your body's doing what it's doing and you need to enjoy it for what it is, or you're just going to drive yourself crazy. Yeah. Find the joy in what you're doing because that's the point. Exactly. Exactly. I, I love when that. When you lose dude. the joy, you need to switch. Yeah, find something new to do. Absolutely. With music saved me a lot because, man, the classical guitar is such a um, uh, hammer just beating all the time, doing just hammering things home and uh, really woodshedding a lot of stuff. But, man, when you're just playing with a group and you get you get going and it's just fun man just so much fun yeah. it's the same thing with with running with a group of guys that you really enjoy running with time just kind of flow just falls away and you're just having that joy that's exactly the best it, word for it 
It does. And when you find that spot, whatever it is, however it is you get there, suddenly long hours last Saturday and it didn't feel like 12. It probably felt like three. No joke. Is that a training run? Oh, no, it wasn't. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It was the ultra Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I I was able to get in the groove early and stay there. And uh, because I had a good plan and good, good support, um, I was able to stay in that groove the whole time. Never had my headphones on. Never, never thought about anything else. Just felt the flow. Stayed in the stayed in the groove and just kept running. And my splits were pretty even, um, honestly, except for one 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 window where I I had I slowed down and you know at an ultra of any you you have that period where you have a dark spot and you sure. got to work through it and then you get get back on get back on the wagon and ride. And I had one of those right in the middle. Really. And, uh, Work, work my way back to it and for no reason at all right you just at some point your your body just goes you know what this is dumb you should stop yeah and you gotta decide if you're gonna listen to that or not absolutely and i i almost like i've been the more obsessed i become with some of these trail races and since i can't really do any right now i've been doing a lot uh, of watch some of the race documentaries that are coming out on youtube and um been reading different books uh, about ultra running and i keep hearing these stories about that dark spot because i mean in a 50k you can kind of come up on um obviously there's a mental just like with the marathon that you have to push through, but you're not really getting into that super dark space where things really start falling apart. Um, It's kind of appealing maybe just because I've never been there, but I really want to go there. (laughs) Well, you'll get there and you'll know it when you get there. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, Oh, Hey, this is it. Ding, ding. (laughs) Let's push through it. Some of it is avoidable though. You know, it's one of the tools that I, that I teach some of the students that I work with. Um, showing them how to figure things out and I, I apply I apply to ultra running and ultra racing and it's been a, I wish I'd thought to do it sooner in life it's not something I didn't know how to do earlier I just didn't think to apply it sooner and um, yeah I, I I keep a I keep a failure modes and effects analysis spreadsheet wow I've, so, I've shown it to Dylan um, and I'm happy to share it with you yeah I'd love that and and literally as an engineering tool, um, what it is, is you identify failures and then you identify what causes those failures. And then you figure out how to prevent those failures on the front end and then what to do about them if they happen on the back end. And oh, you write wow. all that down for every possible thing that can go wrong. So I've had this spreadsheet going since, uh, 2015. Holy and, cow. Uh, just every time I learn something new, I add it to the list. What could I have done? How do you, what happens? What's the physiological reason for it? What, what's, what's the outcome? If this happens, what happens to my race? And then I have them all ranked by severity. Things that cause me to die are really high. Things that cause my race to end are really high and then works down from there. I would absolutely love that. <laughs> you could sell that man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to nerd out real bad. Dude, that is incredible. What? So it just automatically clicked at one point, just like, oh, this would be great to plug into this. <laughs> like, that's just invaluable. Yeah. Well, it's weird because I, I, you know, I, I teach, um, I teach engineering as a volunteer to some local students, and uh, this is one of the tools that I introduced to them. Um, 
And about five years ago, I said, wait a minute, why didn't I use this for that? Because duh, this is exactly what I need. This, that way I can highlight all the things that are currently problematic for me. I can build them into my training plan. I can add, add things to my gear list. And so that's just slowly morphed and become its own thing. And from that list, I translate into my pack list for various events, what needs to go in the bot, how it gets tagged. Um, all of my, my crew um, cannot make a mistake. Yeah. Um, just, I, it's, it's serious nerdism, um, but it helps me and it helps me stay on track and it helps me not to forget things because I have them written down. I think preparedness um, and nerdy are two different things. You just sound super prepared. <laughs> well, it's after years and years and years of failing for dumb reasons. Yeah. Told me when I was sports career could have turned out a little bit differently than it had. Now that, that I have all these ridiculous stories of dumb things that I've done in my life. Um, but, you know, from a point, I think I could have run faster yeah. When I was in my prime, I could have avoided some of the trouble that I had because I spent the time applying skills that I already knew. I just didn't think to use them in sport for no for no reason that I can think of. Yeah. And so, you know, better late than never. Now that I have this, it's it helping better. And the focus on this, forget as my not know yet. For example, um, I was running a hundred miler um, actually with Dylan was was uh was pacing me and uh, um, Indiana Trail is up in Fort Wayne, okay. Indiana, and uh, we were at mile eighty-three, and I passed, oh, and I didn't man. know why. And so um, it just so happened that I'd come in. I was feeling okay. I was just going really slow. I was on track to finish, just way off my goal, and I and knocked out. Woke up on um, next to a heater with a dog and all this stuff. And it turns out, short story is that um, I had dehydrated because it was cold and you weren't thinking to drink and it didn't occur to me to, to drink. And then, and I didn't understand how the dehydration happened. So while I was laying there recovering, the doctor who was working on me happened to be an ultra runner himself. Uh-huh. And he's like, here's what your, here's what your body did. Here's how it happened. This is what it looks like. These are the symptoms. This is what you do. Here's how you don't have this happen. Blah, blah, blah. And so I wrote all that crap down everywhere wow. and and that doctor and i are still friends no kidding um yeah i actually looked him up and uh, we've we've actually raced together again since then um and uh, we stay in touch over social media that's but, awesome um, yeah but it was you know, oh my goodness how would somebody that piece of knowledge from 2016 ended up translating into my success in 2019 at world's toughest murder yeah wow that's so, incredible just you know it's it's a process. Live and learn. And try to find, try not to make all the mistakes yourself. Right. Learning from other people too. too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And I, I certainly, um, I think back to the rest of my life, I've always been somebody who has definitely had to make the mistakes themselves. Um, 
whether it's because I'm stubborn or just because that's uh, how I've been coded down to be. Um, but I am really trying with my racing not to be that way. <laughs> There's just so many knowledgeable people who are experienced. You can learn uh, self. Is that the only tool uh, with your students? And by your students, these are your engineering uh, students at County, right? Yep. So, um, yes. So for the last, well, I've been teaching in Bullitt County for about 10 years. For the last six years, I've been leading a year lifted high school students um, where we design a product from scratch, starting with a blank sheet of paper and an open-ended challenge. Along the way, freshmen and sophomores in high school, um, and they don't have any exposure to practical anything, really. So, you know, when we talk about when I'm working with the students, I'm, I'm teaching them very, very basic problem solving, um, low tech, like only a piece of paper and a pencil. How do you solve this problem using nothing else? No, Lord, no, nothing. What do you do? Do you understand the problem well enough to figure out what's actually wrong? Yeah. And then once you understand the problem well enough, can you mobile, um, you know, we give these projects, we give them budget. Um, because we don't want them buying technology to solve the problem. We want them to figure it out. Agree on what direction they're going in. Once they get a direction, help them start in how to break a problem down into causes. Um, things like fishbone diagrams, which are standard engineering. It's a standard engineering tool. Okay. Um, that allows you to take a, take a problem and then you literally draw what looks like a fish skeleton where you identify all the possible reasons that, that, that could cause that problem, and then all the reasons for those reasons, and then you keep going until you have no more reasons. Oh, okay. And until what's left is literally ones and zeros, right? This, this, it's one of these things that causes that, if you guessed right. So then we, we were able to, I mean, able to help the student, guide the students into solving problems on their own and figuring right. out how to actually... Right. So, and it, and this, this stuff just translates into everything. So the teachers like it because the basic skills get applied to every subject and they actually use my tools with their students in other classes over the course of the year. That's awesome. Um, and, and again, these teaching are, is these really are just that, stealing other people's ideas and methods. It's really all it comes down yeah. to. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and so, the, you know, um, again, you know, figuring out things that go wrong at races, I use the same set of tools. You know, when I can't figure out something's wrong, I sit down and I'll draw a fishbone diagram. What else could, what else could cause this problem? What did I miss? And just work the problem. What, you know, after the fact, you work the problem. And then if you, once you have enough, whatever your encyclopedia of knowledge is when you show up on race day is what you're going to work with. And as long as you can avoid panicking, you can stop and go, okay, what's actually wrong right now? Yeah. What is this t- what, what is my body telling me? What are, what are the signs? And how do I get back to how do I get back to good? And the, the more and, the more prepared you are, I mean, the the less that panic is going to happen too. And practicing the skill and practicing the skill lets you yeah. have practice because that's also a skill you need to be able to pull out of your pocket on race day. You don't want to have to stop and try to do a complicated math problem when your body is trying to tell you to go home. Right. Yeah. Cause you're just going to cave in and go, this is sucks. I can't think about this. I can't figure it out. I'm going home with this, I'm, whatever. Or the opposite or another bad outcome is that you go, you know what the heck with it. I'm just going to push through and not do anything and you end up getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, so having, you know, being able to work with students 
allows me the opportunity to practice some fundamental skills by demonstrating and teaching other kids how to do it, teaching them how to do it. And then in return, um, I get to see their creativity and what kind of um, illogical leaps that they make in the thought process. <laughs> and so being, and that, that's inspirational to me watching. Yeah. Right. So, cause our project, for example, our project for this year was, um, I was having the students um, design features to be added to a local park that would help people with physical disabilities related to mobility. So people in awesome wheelchairs, walkers, yeah, my sister has a cerebral palsy, so that's really cool. And one of the local parks didn't was not well adapted to serve that population. So, I, okay. so the open challenge to the students was pick a spot, any spot in this park that you go to, and your team is going to design something to get built and put there to solve a problem. And we got the park on board. Um, unfortunately, the COVID-19 stuff is going to, um, prevent us from displaying final projects. Um, but oh. the, the 11 groups of students all came up with ideas and built them and, um, really them solve some kind of, some kind of problem that allows an underserved population to see the world differently and enjoy the park differently yeah. than they would have otherwise. But seeing the students think and seeing how they make it through and what creative process they go through to get to the solution that they're putting up is really inspirational. And so I feel like I get a lot more out of it uh, by introducing some basic tools to them and op- that allows them to not focus on still looking work the actual problem. Yeah. And it's this, it, so again, right. It's back to what I said at the very beginning, which is for me, this is all connected every bit of it. And it's, I, when you, when you first said that in, uh, the guest profile, I was kind of like, I don't know how engineering <laughs> connects to running, but I'm gonna see, see how, and man, you, you're, you're totally right. So that, that fishbone kind of technique, that is really your, uh, mental strategy that you exercise whenever you are in, uh, in the ultra environment. That's yeah. uh, kind of your go-to. Yeah, I'm, awesome. I'm, most all the big That's ones I've already got memorized, right? So I can work through the list pretty quickly in my head. But when I come up yeah. on a problem that I'm not sure about, I do the same thing mentally. And hopefully at some point I can align to something I've already identified in my failure modes list, which I also have memorized. So yeah. as long as I can work the problem back to a location that I'm familiar with, after I get there, I'm okay. I have a home base that I can I can get to. If it's something new, completely different problem, then it then it becomes disaster management, which is a different topic. And it, you you mentioned how you know it it's become so much more natural once you've started teaching it. Uh, that's it's so it's so true, and it's why a lot of times, like whenever I have a new concept that we've been learning, whether it's you know working on a new time signature or new musical concept, having the kids teach it, they learn it so much better than they would just by me blabbering on or whatever. But um, for yeah, twenty years or something, but it's not—it's not the same. Um, no, not at all. Not, a, not the same as teaching, not like this. Um, so, it—I it, was finally at a point in life where I was able to give back, and you know, living in a smaller community where I know all the te- the teachers, I know the school where the kids are going to go, I know the teachers that are going to be mm-hmm. there, and so if I'm going to be there, and I'm going to, and I'm a fairly demanding parent where my where my child's education is concerned. So in order to make yeah. 
to bring some balance to that, I also wanted to give and share with the stories they thought they needed, whether it was time or whatever. I wanted to help and make the school better. Um, and this yeah. was a way that the school district um, inside Bullitt County. And so it, it started out smaller and it turned into this thing, um, this the project, depending on how the COVID-19 thing wraps up, our project for this this coming school year is is pretty sizable. So I'm waiting to see how it goes to make sure all the key stakeholders are on board. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's like anything else. It's a big circle. Well, they, they are certainly uh, lucky to have you. That is such a huge uh, opportunity for those high schoolers uh, to really get some what is real world experience? You know, it, it is a teacher myself. So many teachers kind of look at what we're doing and we're like, man, how does any of this actually apply? Well, well, strangely <laughs> and, enough. And this is something it does. Well, strangely enough, the, you know, the students, you know, when I'm in there teaching something, an academic topic, right? You kind of, you kind of mm-hmm. ride the fence of getting a yawn and having a kid nod off because it, sometimes the material can feel dry. And yeah. I actually bring ultra racing to the classroom and demonstrate how these tools work, demonstrating the failure modes. And if I sit and think about how things break and how to fix and make a list, yeah, right. that's that you might as well just, you know, stand in a corner and face the wall. But, um, <laughs> but when I, but when I come to the classroom and I bring them tales of the last ultra marathon or the last, whatever endurance event and the, the horrible things that happened and how they were overcome and, here it is on the list. Here's what I predicted was I needed to do. Here's what I packed to prevent it. And here's what happened. And here's how it worked out. And suddenly things have meaning, right? This All this, eyes are peeled on you. <laughs> right? And of course, then you have to wade through the, what do you mean you ran for 24 hours in a row? Did you go to sleep? <laughs> right? They, I have to what get to those questions. <laughs> right? And then I, I have photos, right? Yeah. Where, Hey, I, my my wetsuit froze, and no, it, it didn't. Right? <laughs> and so you take a picture. Severe cold, and here are the things that happened from severe cold, and here's what I did about it. And um, it's just stuff like that where it's just like it's, you bring real world out and give it to because they turn it into something else. You can apply it back to things that I do. Um, yeah. Before I would be willing to do that now to help people out assist take certain blocks of things sure um yeah right i'm happy to help out like my my daughter's um some track coach wants to send a block of kids out a certain pace and very rarely is it faster than i can go i'll run the group and help assess their running form and blah blah it's, it, it's places i i want to give back because eventually somehow whatever you put out in the world right comes back and whether it's whether it's kindness that you put out that shows back up to you when a random racer you've never met before gives you food because yours fell yeah. out of your pocket and you didn't know it had fallen out of your pocket and you're not going to make it much longer without some food or first aid that's rendered. You know, there's so many different ways that this works out and shows itself, and you just kind of get there and be willing to put positivity out there. And Dylan is a big example of that, right? Absolutely, positive out in the world and positive finds its way back for sure and there's so many first of all thank you for <laughs> so so much. so much time and it, none of it, all of it my mouth was like 
on the floor. So this has been some really cool stuff. Uh, before we wrap up, is there a story that's kind of your go already? Mm. Um, I remember the end of my first Ironman. Um, mm-hmm. I had trained and trained and trained and trained, and I was young enough at the point, right? I was 98, so I was 26, right? Still invincible. Um, and I remember being out on the course and really starting to not enjoy life. And yeah. and I was on the verge of quitting, and it just so happened that the way the race course worked out is um, the last part of the run, and uh, mm-hmm. I came in and I looked at my wife, that was her first opera. That was the first race that she'd ever been to, to be pseudo crew. And, um, and I, I, done. I got, I got nothing. And she looked at me and, um, grabbed me by the shoulders and said, are you crazy? You've trained, <laughs> you've trained for a year. You've done all of the work you're you're fine with you you have to yeah. finish this race and at the time I, she had a she didn't have exercise clothes on or anything and um she wasn't allowed to help me because you get disqualified for getting helped and she got out on the co- on the run course and ran at a couple of feet away from me and talked me through the last seven miles at whatever wow. pace it was and she had street shoes on and uh, <laughs> it was just talking positive energy to me, and I, I had dehydrated, I had salt depleted, like I couldn't move my fingers. Gel oh pack. my gosh! So I was yeah. I was clamping gel packs between my palms and trying to rip it open with my teeth. And yeah, uh, and the aid station workers caught them. They were opening them for me. And uh, but <laughs> that's my, nice of them. But my wife was next to me the whole time that I was talking me in, and that's that is one of my fondest memories and she's been by my side at every major event since then that is incredible that's awesome and what how awesome it is to have such consistency and uh somebody by your side to support you like that to kind of pull you out of that weak moment that's awesome i i I can't tell you how much of an advantage it is to know you know this is because this year will be 22 years of of racing um, since yeah. that, since that Ironman and, uh, she knows the plan. She knows how to read my spreadsheet. She knows, right. We talk about what's going on. Yeah. I, I cater everything to her and she's the one that helps make sure I get home safely and stay out on the course healthy. And, you know, it started out with that one Ironman. She, neither one of us knew anything about it. I was getting by on youth and bigger and she believed in me enough to talk me through it and talk me out of quitting. And uh, I've, I've never forgotten. That's amazing. And so, man, Mike, thanks so much for your time. I mean, this is, there's been so many awesome things that we've uh, gotten into today. It's been awesome talking to you. You going to do Mountain Mist next year? I, I think, I think I'm going to make my return. I've missed a couple of years because of work. I've had to be in China during the race uh, this year i yeah. think i'm hoping not to have to be in china i'm planning to push this travel so um hopefully yes i will make my return i'll for see start, you there start number 15 
Excellent. I will see you there. That'll be awesome. Well, hopefully we get a chance to meet before then. It has been so cool talking to you. Hopefully we can jam, get some guitars together and have a good time or go on a run together at some point if our paths cross. Thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you. I look forward to sitting at the feet of the master and learning something. Hey, li- hey, likewise on the run side. Be awesome. That'll be awesome. And uh, so thanks again, Mike. I hope you have an awesome night and uh, stay safe during all this COVID stuff. Thank you. It's great talking to you. All right. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, man. Man, I had an awesome time talking with Mike. I mean, just so knowledgeable over 22 years of racing and training and uh, his dedication to living life in the most adventurous way possible and having all of his training go into that and to do that with his family and provide that for his family. Just and so nice and humble about everything, too. He's just so real, un unbelievable conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm looking forward to uh, meeting Mike in person in the future, hopefully at Mountain Mist this coming year. Um, How are you doing with the COVID-19 stuff? How are you dealing with it? Are you doing virtual races? Are you training? Uh, For example, Mike did the endurance race. I did the backyard marathon. What are some ways that you're keeping your training interesting and keeping moving? Um, Look for some of those. Look for some of those virtual races to keep your self-motivated and maybe even to try something new. There's a lot of cool things out there and there's no pressure to necessarily meet a benchmark. Just go and try it. Keep safe, everybody. Um, Things are continuing to look a little bit unsure as different outbreaks are popping up, but follow your guidelines. And together, we will get through all this, especially here in Kentucky. It's been really awesome to see everybody pulling together. I know that living alone can be a little tough sometimes. I always get so excited when I see people out on the road, whether I'm driving or I see them while I'm training. I'll get super excited, almost like a puppy dog, like, ah, hey, it's me, remember? Chris and so if if you see me out and I start uh, waving and hollering like a fool uh, just know that I miss you dearly and it's great to see you guys thanks for tuning in this week Hopefully you've been uh, checking out the vlog. It's been a lot of fun doing that. Uh, On Monday, I talked about getting into cycling for under $1,000. And on Wednesday, I talked about getting into trail running. Spring is here and there's not a better time to get into trails than right now. I discuss etiquette on the trails and social distancing and shoes. So make sure you check that out. Thanks, guys. Make sure you're training hard, resting easy and sharing the distance so we can eventually share the road. Thanks, guys. Abel, out!